It's In Your Head with Lee Richardson, and recently I was interviewed by Sandra Beck with Coach Talk Radio, and such an interesting conversation, lots of good information about the brain. Take a listen, and I'll be back next week. Hey, everybody, this is Sandra Beck, and we're here at Coach Talk Radio. We've got such a great guest today. We're going to be talking with Lee Richardson of the Brain Performance Center. And I'm always excited to go out of the area. You know, we're here based in Los Angeles. We have our New York affiliate. And we're going to go to Texas today. And we're going to talk with this lady about brain health. We're going to talk about neurofeedback. We're going to talk about all these cool things that you might have heard about, you know, and how they can help you or help your family members or your kids. So I'm so excited to have her here today. If you want to look her up online while you're listening, go to the brainperformancecenter.com. Don't forget the T-H-E on there. You'll be glad you did. And Lee, welcome to the show. I'm so excited to talk to you. Thank you, Sandra. Thank you for having me. And I'm excited to be here. Well, you know, I've got to ask you, because, you know, we all have brains. I get that. And I'm a big zombie person, so I think brains are fun anyway. Um, Don't want to eat them, but they are, you know, a big part of our culture, you know, and we hear a lot about brain health and what our brains do. But, you know, we go to the gym to work out our muscles. We go to the nutritionist to find out what to eat. What do we do for our brain and why does brain health matter? And what is brain health for that matter? Well, brain health matters because everything you do, you don't do, how well you do it depends upon the health of your brain. So if you're struggling getting through your day, if you, because you're all of a sudden feeling irritable or grumpy, or if you're having a hard time focusing or concentrating, or you can't sleep at night, all of that is based upon what's going on in your brain, how that brain is wiring and firing. And it's important to know that you can get that brain, you can change the way that brain's wiring and firing and get it into a regulated state. Okay, so it is like a muscle or it is like something that we can actually work with to make better. We're not just stuck with the brain we got. Absolutely. You know, there's four things that puts a brain into a dysregulated state. And I honestly believe that at some point in our life, everybody's brain will go dysregulated for a little while. And the first is genetics. You know, brain waves are just as genetic as how tall you are, what color eyes you have. And, you know, it's just up in the last decade that people have started talking about things like anxiety or depression or OCD, before we had the mentality, you know what, just suck it up, power through it. Um, We were ashamed of it. We felt guilty about it. And we're just now understanding that brain health, mental health matters. It's just as important as your physical health. Well, and I think that's so interesting because, you know, when I was growing up, people would say, oh, you know, that boy ain't right. Or that mama, she was so poor growing up, her brain didn't grow right. You know, these, these were the things, you know, that we heard. And I always thought like, you know, brains are a fixed thing. We're given one, you know, that's kind of, you know, what we're driven with. But what I've noticed the 50 years that I've walked this planet, Lee, is that under times of extreme stress and after times of extreme stress, 
after the birth of my kids, now going through a form of chemotherapy for a cancer that I have, I noticed I'm forgetful. Like our brain changes and functions differently under different circumstances. And I only say that because that's what I'm experiencing. It absolutely does. And I think that well, instead of just thinking, it's my problem, I've messed something up, people need to stop and say, you know what, my brain health is important. And I need to do I need to check on that. I need to just sometimes you ask yourself, are you having a good day? Self check. When's the last time that you felt happy? Self check. Are you more irritable than you should be? Because in today's world, we ha- we're in charge of our own health. Right. You know, it used to be that we trusted the doctor to manage everything for us. But today, we have to be in charge of our own health, and we have to step up. It's a different world we live in. It is. It is. And it's not as simple as I used to have this thing where if I could remember the Battle of Hastings was 1066, I haven't lost my mind. Like, you know, I have the one fact, as long as I remember that, I'm okay. Now I know it's very different. Can you share with our listeners, how did you get involved in brain health? You know, nobody wakes up one morning and goes, I'm going to be a brain expert. You know, it usually evolves out of a story. Well, it absolutely does. And I think personally, after spending two visits in ICU with brain injury, that I realized how important brain health was. But it was more about what was going on with my son that led me down the path to find neurofeedback. And that is when he was in second grade, he was hit by a car. And of course, we went to the emergency room and we got through it. He gets in fifth grade and he just turned 32 today. And so this was a long time ago. He gets in fifth grade and he said, mom, I need help. Well, of course, what can I do for you? You know, you don't understand, mom. I really need help. Okay. How can I help you? He said, my brain doesn't work anymore. He said, I have ADHD. I said, well, I don't know what ADHD is. How do you know what it is? Well, I've been on the internet. I was like, okay. So we talked about it. And basically, he couldn't remember. He couldn't focus. And what really scared me was his self-esteem and his self-confidence was just heading down at the speed of lightning. I don't care if you're an A student, but I do care if you don't have any self-confidence and self-esteem is low. So I said, no problem. I got this. I'll go to the school and I'll talk to the counselor, which I did. And, you know, I explained the situation. She said, there's nothing wrong with your kid. Your kid doesn't have ADHD. And I said, okay, well, how can I help my kid? And she said, well, he, he doesn't have a behavior problem. He's never failed anything. The only thing I can think of is, you know, maybe you ought to consider putting him on Ritalin. And I said, well, Ritalin is speed. And why would I give my child speed if there's nothing wrong with him? And her response was, well, that's the only thing I know. I said, okay, thank you so much. And I started researching and I found, I found neurofeedback and how it does help and particularly with brain injury. So I put him in the program and after seven or eight sessions, I thought I can see a spark in his eye. I can see a smile on his face. I think that I need to do this. And after the first time I was in ICU, I completely lost my sense of smell. And when I did neurofeedback, I got that sense of smell back. And you know, you have to smell something before you taste it. Right. Right. So, so 
what is neurofeedback? I, you know, I've heard the word, I kind of know how to spell it. Neuros like brain feedback. Like what is, what does it mean and what does it do for people? Well, you know, I'm constantly struggling with how to answer that question. And I had a client that we had a conversation just yesterday and we recorded it. And I think it would be a great time to just interject that in because he described, you know, his, why he did it, how he found it, what it was like for him, what advice he has to share. So let's share that with others. Hi, it's Lee at the Brain Performance Center. At the Brain Performance Center, we work with people that have ADHD, anxiety, depression, OCD, autism, addiction, the list goes on and on. All of those are a result of what's going on in your brain or what's not going on in your brain. And neurofeedback is the foundation of treatment that we use in every case. My biggest challenge is getting people to understand what neurofeedback is and how they can benefit. I have a client and we've had such great talks about neurofeedback and he has been kind enough to offer to share his information with us. And I'm so thankful for that. So just to kind of start off, what made you decide that neurofeedback would be good for you? Sure. So I guess there are two reasons. The first is, is I didn't want to put a bandaid over my challenges. I wanted to go to the root cause and fix it at the core. And neurofeedback allowed me to do that. That's part one. And then part two is, is I knew the brain I was born with didn't have to be the brain I lived with. And, neuro, neuro, and neurofeedback using the power of neuroplasticity has the power to transform and change that. And so those two things were, I guess, the reasons why. So can you describe what the process was like? Was it painful? Sure, yeah, I guess I came in thinking maybe it'll be a little bit painful. I was a little bit nervous. But after experiencing it, it was transformative. It was simple. It was easy. After two sessions, I felt extremely powerful change. And then spending the rest of the time with you and your team to kind of hold that change was, was also really interesting. And, and experiencing that was, was really powerful. You know, thank you for mentioning that. Because what I tell people is around six or seven sessions, you should start to feel some difference. And a lot of people like you feel it even sooner. Yeah, I felt it after the first one or two sessions and then kind of building it up and kind of experiencing the, the holding it in after six, seven, eight, nine, ten, you know, it was really powerful. And you, you make another good point. It is a commitment because creating change in the brain is easy. Getting the brain to hold the change exactly. is where the, the commitment comes in. And you're going to be doing 19, 20 sessions and then you'll be done. Yes, I look forward to that. So can you recommend or do you have any advice to share with anybody that's thinking, could this help me? Should I do this? Sure. So I definitely have a lot of advice, but I guess one simple advice is something very simple is I didn't want to allow the, 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 tr the troubles and, and the, the, the issues I faced to define me. I wanted to allow, I wanted to allow it to transform me. You know, and Tony Robbins has a quote, if you do what you've always done, you're going to get what you've always gotten. And I knew my brain was the engine that powered my life and I wanted a new brain a more powerful brain so I can create new results and, and be better and perform better so I can be the best version of myself. So thank you, Lee, for helping me do that. Well, we, I have a book out, Turn Your Brain On to Get Your Game On, and that's what it's all about. And I have to say, I've definitely seen you get your game on. Thank you, Lee. Yes, I definitely have. Thank you. Wow, Lee, that was such a great interview. I'm so glad, you know, that you shared it with us. Um, what else can you tell us about the neurofeedback process and, you know, how it works and, and you know, how do we make a decision on ourselves to, to choose that type of treatment? Well, I think it's important that you understand what's your level of self-awareness, because 
be self-aware and understand what's working in your brain and what's not working. And if you're struggling every day to get up, to get through your day, that's not right. And you're entitled and you deserve to have a healthier perspective on life. But the hard part is, is facing it and saying, I'm not okay. It is perfectly okay to not be okay. And I think many of us have a hard time accepting that. We strive for that perfect being that's that overall, I want the best. I want to be the best I can be. Well, me too. So I'm going to accept myself where I am and help put myself in a spot where I can be the best I can be. With neurofeedback, what you're doing is the first thing I do is I do an assessment and I determine what's off in that brain. You know, I I look at it from a neuroplasticity level. Neuroplasticity is a brain's ability to change. And then I look at it three different ways. We all have slow, medium, and fast waves going on in our brain, and we need them all, but we need the right amount. And we look at how the brain shares information. That's coherence. And it doesn't matter to me if it shares too much or not enough. It's dysregulated. And then we look at the timing. And the timing sometimes is so obvious because people that the timing's too fast, they're the ones that, oh, excuse me, excuse me, I just have to tell you this. You know, excuse me. You can see it. You can see it in their behavior. And looking at that and with, with technology and the software that's been developed, the answer to what's going on in that brain is in the data. And you can slice and dice that data so many different ways. And you can match that up to what behavior that person wants to change. And we work off of treatment goals because I honestly believe whether you're five years old or 50 years old, if you don't know what you're looking for, you're not going to find it. So what are your treatment goals? How do you want your brain to work better? And of course, I do an assessment that gives us some objective data that we can measure against because nothing's better then when you, after you do 15 to 20 sessions, you come back and you see your brain's 300% better mm-hmm. in that area. Nothing puts a bigger smile on people's face. Well, and I think too, it's one of those things like, you know, I liken it to when I went to therapy after my marriage ended and my mom died, you know, all within the same year. And one of the therapists said, sometimes you don't know what you don't know, because I couldn't figure out why I was feeling better. You know what I mean? Because I didn't know, I didn't come in as a self-identified, I'm suffering from this. I have this diagnosis. We need to work on this. What it was, was like, I just don't feel right. Things aren't working right. I know I'm not where I used to be. I know I'm older, but I just had a hunch something wasn't right. And And, is that enough to come into somebody like you? See, I think on a subconscious level, you did know things weren't right. And, but on a conscious level, we suppress that information. Oh, it's going to be fine. I'm going to be, I can work through this. I can handle this. I've been through bigger and better things than this. But I think that subconscious level, I always told my boys growing up, listen to your gut Mm -hmm. because your gut is your subconscious. And now you can, I saw on Harvard health, the gut is the second brain, right? the importance of that gut brain connection is huge. And and because it's the importance of the subconscious and the people, that's one of the questions that people will say with neural feedback, 
tell me what to do. Mm -hmm. And my answer to that is just sit there in the chair, be relaxed, just let everything flow and trust the brain to figure out what it needs to do. So when you, when you do something like this, it's okay to come in and not be identifiably sure what's going on. You just know something's off. Absolutely. And, you know, I tend not to put labels on people. You can put a label, a lot of, and I certainly have the credentials to diagnose. But what I have found, if I come in, you come in and I put a label on you, then I'm just putting you in a box. Right. And when I have somebody come in and say, Miss Lee, I can't do that. You know, I have ADHD. My answer to that is, excuse me, you have a learning difference. And yes, you can do that. Let's try a little harder. Let me help you figure out how you can do that. Right. And I think a lot of these, um, a lot of this help can, can, can clear up a lot of other things. You know, one of the things that when I talk about my own brain, you know, my brain can matriculate at a really high rate of speed, which makes it great for me to work on the computer. It can keep up with me, but it's not so great having a conversation at the dinner table, you know, <laughs> light years ahead. And, you know, having, knowing that there's something that can help me be better at some of these things, you know, better at casual conversation, better at dinner table conversations, instead of not even knowing where the conversation is, because I'm already, you know, light years ahead, or, you know, run down this whole, you know, this whole road, side road. Um, there's also a peacefulness that comes to go, wow, there is some hope. There are some solutions. This isn't fixed. I'm not stuck with this forever, which is really what I thought, you know, when, when I was first talking to some people about my own, you know, the way my brain works, the way, you know, it, it does certain things. Um, and to find that, you know, like even through meditation can change some of these things. And that's kind of simple and free. Absolutely. And mindfulness, just staying present in the moment, because most of us that are anxious or depressed, we're either lost in the past, rethinking those decisions that we should have made differently, or we're worried about the future. We're playing the fortune teller. I know what's going to happen. I know what's going to happen. And I know that's not going to be good for me. So if you can just stay present in the moment and focus on what you can control, that is something that will get put you more in control. And you're right. It is absolutely free. And even simple things is, you know, every day we have positive and negative events. Some days I feel like I had a lot more negative than I did positive. But research shows that on most days we have three times more positive than we do negative. But what are you paying attention to? Right. It's a choice. Are you choosing to pay attention to the negative? And how much time are you spending paying attention to the negative? So that's something that people can do just on their own. You know, I always I'll ask clients, I want you every day to write down three good things that happened. And they're not big things. They're not huge. You ran in the grocery store and there was nobody in front of you. You got in and out so quick. 
or you got a really nice email from someone or someone reached out to you on Facebook. Just simple things that just put a smile on your face. Well, sure. And I remember, Lee, I went many years ago, I went to Salt Lake City for a week-long course from Franklin Covey on time management. Marriott Corporation, who I was working with at the time, sent me there. And, you know, I really like time management. I like all this stuff. And the guy had us do this exercise, which was so simple. And I just want to share it with our listeners today. And I want your feedback on it. He had us take a piece of paper. Mine was orange. Everybody got a colored piece of paper, you know, and then we weren't going to come back to hear the speaker like the next day, the next afternoon. He made us carry it with us with a pencil and we had to check off every time we thought something negative, critical, or something negative and critical came out of our mouths. You know, because if we want to correct our staff or we want to teach time management, we have to show different ways or better ways of doing things that might be helpful. How do you do it without criticizing? How do you do it without being negative? Lee, I filled up that paper by like 10 o'clock in the morning. You know what I mean? Like I had no idea. We had to put a little check if you had a criticism, whether you said it or not, just it flew through your head. And, you know, this was like 25, 30 years ago now. And I've never forgotten that because I wasn't even aware of, I was looking at everything with a critical eye and we think, oh, well, that's good. But what it was doing was causing me to be negative, to be grumpy, to be angry. And this was all going in my own head. This wasn't even out to the public. I think that's a great exercise. And I kind of flip that around and ask people to focus on the positive. I'll ask them to describe the best possible self they can be. And sometimes, particularly with adolescents, they may have a hard time with that. And I'll say, okay, draw me a picture. You know, show me what the best possible self would look like. Oh, check out those biceps. (laughs) So are you thinking that you want to start working out more? And, you know, putting that focus on the positive. Because I think we all, we all are in that critical mode. And we're criticizing. And we pick up on the negative. I can hear the news. And if I hear three good things and two bad things, what do I remember? Right. Well, we'll look at tests. You know, right now my kids are going, they're taking, my older one's taking his AP exams and my younger one is taking his year-end exams. And, you know, my one son came in this morning, Lee, and he's like, I missed three. And I said, what do you mean you missed three? He goes, well, I got a 97% on my test. And Um. so angry that he missed the three. And that's exactly what you're talking about. Instead of rejoicing and going, hey, you got 97 out of 100 timed test math questions right. You should be dancing in your shoes. But nope, came down with a thundercloud on his face going, I can't believe I missed three. And I think all of us do that. We focus on what we missed on a test, not what we achieved. I think you're right. We do. And I think that it's, particularly when times are challenging, it's easier to fall into that. But we have to shift and we have to reframe our thoughts. And a simple exercise that I like to use is I like to ask people to think about their vocabulary and and how you're talking. Because just Google positive words and you will come up from A to Z with a list of words that are so much fun. And there, when you use those words, it's fabulous. 
instead of oh, it's, it it's, right now i'm gonna do that while we're while they even separate it positive words that start with a or start with n like that's a big deal i think i need to print this out and put it on my wall because these are fun words delightful energized you know fortunate flourishing you know genius gorgeous i mean other than you, normally we say what good, great, fine, okay, exactly, and they are fun words. And if you just, I think that printing it out's a great idea. And I, I try to use one new word a day. Realistic, I'd, I'd like to do more, but one, if I can just use one new positive word a day, it, it, that gives me something to smile about, and it makes me more interesting to talk to. Absolutely. And well, and Lee, if I said like, hey, great idea, you're like, oh, okay. But if I say, wow, that's impressive. Like, yeah. look at that. I mean, and it's, they're fun to say, you know, like they make you even just, I challenge anybody listening today to, to go to enchantedlearning.com, look at their word list of positive words, which I just Googled and found they didn't support this show at all. But, and I, I, I ask you to read just through the F's and not smile. Fabulous, famous, fetching, flourishing, funny, fantastic, fortunate, friendly, favorable, fun. How can you not feel good even just reading those words? They change your state. They do. And, and even if you just read them to yourself, that, <laughs> that brings joy into your life. And there are so many things that we can do that we can, we can put that positive energy in our life. We don't all necessarily have to go through a program, we all need mental resilience. And that really is the ability to cope. And a lot of what we do at the Brain Performance Center does focus on mental resilience. But a lot of the homework that I give are just the things that we've talked about. And they're things that you can do on your own. Well, I love that because, you know, there's some really prosaic needs, I think, for a company like yours. You know, we have a situation going on in our little town where one of the 16-year-old girls, who's just a delight, had a fight with her mom. She parked her pickup truck at her aunt's house down the street, and then she decided to go for a walk to blow off steam. And we live in the high desert. Well, she got lost. The sun went down. It was dark. She left her purse in her truck and her phone in her truck, had her keys in her pocket, never intending to scare the you-know-what out of the entire town where everybody's looking at for her social media. And she did. She got lost in a canyon, eventually came out on a road and was okay. And, you know, it was a simple mistake that a teen girl made that escalated to upset a whole town. And when she contacted me after, she was crying because she's like, everybody's mad at me. Everybody hates me. I screwed up, you know, and I tried to flip it around going, look at how much you're loved. Look at how much we care. The whole town stopped to look for you and that it's okay to make a mistake. And that's why I want to ask you today, when we make a mistake, we all do. Some of them are bigger than others. This one was a whopper. You know, people are going to remember the time in COVID where everybody went out, you know, looking for this little girl and, um, you know, she has to live with this and we have to live with the mistakes we made. How does that affect our mental health? How does that affect our brain performance? Well, you get those negative thoughts going, you know, and that depends upon how your brain is working because, 
left side of your brain is logic, right side of your brain is emotion, right down the middle of your brain, there's a functional neural pathway, the cingulate gyrus. And if the brain is dysregulated along that pathway, once that loop starts looping on a conscious level, you can't stop it. It's just the way the brain is working. And it needs to work that way. The back of your head is where you process everything. So you've got to take that information up to the frontal lobes where you use it and you apply it. So, and we all make mistakes. And I, I have no idea when the day will be that I don't make a mistake. Some are laughable, some are bigger than others, but what we have to do is if our brain is working right, we have to accept the fact that we all make mistakes. We gotta lean into it. If you can get a laugh out of it, I always say laugh at yourself. And when you hurt people, apologize. Recognize that mistake. You know, I know the impact that this had. And I know I can't go back in time and I can't undo it, but I do want you to know I'm really sorry. I am sorry are very powerful words. Absolutely. Not only for the person hearing them, but for the person saying them. You're very, very correct. Yeah. I mean, because I think for some people, apologizing is pretty easy. You know, I've never had a problem apologizing. I maybe messed up so many times it doesn't, you know, it's just a common occurrence. But there are some people on this planet that take themselves extremely seriously and almost never apologize. Or if they apologize, they do that awful, I'm sorry you feel that way. I was married to someone like that. You know, I'm sorry you have the problem. I'm sorry you are experiencing this. You know, that's a tough one to to you know, get around. And that's where, like, I kind of get confused between mental health and brain health. Like, you know, are they the same? Are they intertwined? Like, what's the difference between brain health and mental health? Well, when I think of the brain, brain health, what that means to me is how's that brain wiring and firing? And how those neurons and dendrites communicating? And how are those neurotransmitters that come from your brain, from your gut, the chemical synapses that they're making. That's your brain health. When I think of mental health, that's your mind. And the mind, are the, that's the thought process. But if you don't have good brain health, I don't care how much you work on good mental health, you're not going to fix it. So when you think about a computer, the infrastructure that that computer runs off of, the hardware, that's the brain. The software that allows that computer to do all those cool, really fancy things, that's the mind. So if your hardware is not right, which is the brain, your software isn't going to work. And that's your mind. Wow. I love how you put that because, you know, it is hard. You know, I don't think we, we don't, as a culture especially, we don't really think about our thoughts. You know what I mean? Like we're taught to think things, you know, schools teach us to think a certain way to think things. Religious institutions teach us thoughts and how we should think, even how to pray. You know, like we look at some of these things and 
I don't know what happens in life. You know, I see it with some of my PTSD military friends. I see it with some of my friends who have experienced trauma in their life over, you know, natural disasters or things that have happened in the home or, you know, illness or accident. And then all of a sudden they're like, wow, I can actually think about my thoughts. I'm in control of my thoughts. Like, I think there's an aha moment with most people because that's not, I don't think that's common knowledge. I don't think it is either. And I think it's confusing to people because, and I've had so many people come in and say, I've spent 10 years in therapy and I'm no better. What makes you think that you can help me? And my response to that is brain health. Turn your brain on to get your game on. And, you know, I actually wrote a whole book. That's the name of the book. Turn your brain on to get your game on. And I wrote that book for people to understand that how the brain works and how it doesn't work and how that plays out in life. We all have emotional influencers, grief, depression, anxiety. We all learn differently. We all respond to what's going on in the environment. Some people, with, when the weather gets really cold and dark, it depresses them. Mm-hmm. You know? and, and there's a lot about lifestyle choices that we make, but all of those things have an impact on your brain. And just understanding, oh, it's not just me. Everybody, everybody's brain at some point in time gets dysregulated. Well, sure. I can tell you, you know, when I was going through divorce and it was high conflict and it was over three years and my mom was diagnosed with breast cancer and then she ultimately died after, you know, three years, you know, all this stuff came to a confluence and my two dogs passed away after 15 years. You know, I was just a mess and I, I would be so angry with myself because I couldn't do something as simple as pay the bills. Sometimes I'd forget to sign the check. I wrote a PG&E check to, you know, AT&T and I put checks in the wrong envelopes, you know, really simple, you know, rookie mistakes. And this is somebody from a college professional who runs a tech company, you know, and I, I, I was so thankful for Judy Brizendine's book, Stunned by Grief, because it said confusion is normal. When you're under great grief, you know, you're going to make mistakes. You're going to do these things. Because I thought I was flipping, losing my mind. I think you're not the only one. And grief is something I think that is so unprocessed by us all. I know that I've recently lost a dog. And my Miss Pickle had her for 13 years and just in the last six weeks had to kiss her goodbye. And finally said, you know, it's okay. Cause some, one of my friends said, well, it's not like you lost a kid. And I said, no, you know, it's not. But then I stopped and thought about it and yeah, it is. I was just going to say, you know, I have friends who are childless by choice who have a child dog, a four-legged friend who, when that dog had to be put down, experienced almost the same reaction to the same depth as my friend Janet, who is my co-host on Childhood Cancer Chalk Radio, when she buried her child. Now, I know a lot of people will argue and they might come after me with nasty comments on social media that a dog is not a child. But the fact of the matter is it's not about the dog, the child, the house, the boat, the company. It's about your relationship with whatever 
it is you've lost. I've had friends who are devastated by the loss of their company. They were single. They chose to run this company. They put their entire life in it. And to lose it was catastrophic. And who was to say whether the company, the child, or the, the pet reigned supreme because it's all about your relationship with the object you lost. And I think it's about every day. We, people need three things. They need something to do. Mm-hmm. And if you've, lost, you know, if you've lost your company, you have a, a pet to go home and care for. They need something to love. And we don't always have a person in our life, but you can always have a, a pet. And they need something to look forward to. And I can't tell you, when I pull in that garage every day, I, am, I can see those little smiling faces waiting at the door. And just, I look forward to that. Yeah. And so I think that pets uh, operate, they offer unconditional love. And is there anything better than that? Right, right. They're not bitching at you about what you had for breakfast. There's no milk, you know, and we're out of eggs. Love you. Thank you, mom. That was our morning. <laughs> and then I look at Sally, my golden retriever, who's sitting there in the kitchen looking at me going, I love you. I can't wait till you drop a piece of egg. And when you drop that piece of egg on the floor for me, I will wag my tail till the sun goes down. Like, and I know you will. Yes, that's right. That's right. So, you know, we kind of laugh and giggle about some of these things. Um, the last thing I'd like to talk to you about is the power of laughter, the power of like what I found Lee as part of my healing with my cancer series that I call cancer's healing me. I'm cancer's curing me. I'm not curing cancer because I'm using cancer to clean up areas of my life that really needed adjusting things. I couldn't do easily. Now with the cancer diagnosis is like, boop, can't do that. Got to sleep. Boop, can't do that. Got to go to the gym. Boop, can't eat that. You know, it's very black and white now for me. But one of the things I'm noticing is I bought with my kids, all these funny movies, these funny TV shows. And I will go to bed every night before I go to bed. I'll watch an old friends, a big bang theory, something Frasier that makes me laugh. And I drift off to sleep in this I drift off Sandra? to sleep. Yes, we're going. I drift off to sleep in this perfect world of watching a funny movie or funny TV show or reading a funny book before bedtime. And I find that my whole everything changes. So what happens to us when we laugh, when we watch something funny? What does it do for our brain? What does humor do for our brain? Well, I think humor does the same thing that when we do something that brings us joy does. And for instance, when you, whether it's watching your Facebook or, you know, used to be with, with alcoholism and drug addicts, what, what, why that becomes an an addict is when you do something that gives you joy, your brain releases dopamine and dopamine is a really good feel good transmitter. Oh, and then those little nerve cells, because addiction is a brain disease, you know, and for some that have that brain disease, those little nerve cells get mixed up. I like it. I want it. I need it. So with humor, I think it does the same thing. You know, you're releasing those chemicals, those, that dopamine, all those neurotransmitters that really make you feel good. And that makes you, that makes you happy. And that's what you experience. 
Yeah, I love that because I do. The kids and I watch funny dog videos, funny pet videos. You know, we try to end our day on a positive note. So I'll bring out my iPad and, you know, we'll watch cats falling off counters or, you know, dogs dancing around and falling over for a treat. And, you know, we all laugh and it's, it's so simple, but it's amazing how alert I feel after a good laugh. And I think sharing that laugh with somebody, that's a bonding experience. And you know, when you're bonding, we can talk about that oxycotin that the body starts putting out. So laughter, sharing, pleasure, all of that creates good chemical synapses in our brain. Gotcha. Gotcha. So Lee, how do people find out more about you and how do we get a copy of turn your game on to get your brain on or what's the, <laughs> what's the, well, you, you can find turn your brain on to get your game on, on Amazon, or you can find it on my website, the brain We're on Facebook. We're on Instagram. We're on LinkedIn. And I just like to say that I offer a 30 minute complimentary consultation and I'm willing to talk to anybody. I have 30 minutes to give. If I can answer some questions and just give you a little bit of peace about yourself, that's time well spent for me. Anybody that's interested in that can call 214-329-9017, and Bismarck will be happy to take care of you. Now, do you have to be in the Dallas, Texas area to work with you? Well, you do, but I have people that come in from all over town, and I have an intensive program that they do. They'll come and they'll stay for 10 days, and they'll, we'll be able to get everything done within those 10 days. So some people do it in town, and some people come from all across the United States. Oh, wonderful. That's good to know. That's good to know. So the Brain Performance Center, find her book on Amazon. Her name is Lee Richardson. That's spelled L-E-I-G-H. And Richardson is R-I-C-H-A-R-D-S-O-N. You'll find her at the Brain Performance Center. Check her out on Amazon. If you liked what you heard today, please check her out. Her product's great. I'm a big fan of her book. That's how she came to be on my show today. So turn your brain on to get your game on. You'll be glad you did. We'll be back again next week.